Hello, everybody. I have an awesome interview for you today on Coach's Corner. My longtime friend, Lewis Howes, joins me for a really vulnerable, powerful conversation. This is a great interview for both men and women to listen to. Definitely listen all the way through, especially to all the women out there because Lewis gives an incredible gift from his heart to all women on behalf of men. Also, I highly suggest that you either pause this and go and listen to episode 128 or listen to episode 128 immediately after if you haven't. That's the episode entitled Manning Up with William. And it really is complimentary to this interview. Lewis and I talk a lot about the different masks that men wear. And oftentimes one way that men sort of hide from their True self and true power is going into the savior or rescuer archetype. And William and I talked about that in the episode. So if you haven't listened, make sure to check out episode 128 and we'll link that up in the show notes as well. Before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. I'm actually in a hotel room right now because I am, I don't like to say I'm homeless. (laughs) I am in the process of surrender and flow. So I am flowing and I'm just permanent address list. And I had a session with my coach out in Escondido and then I'm headed up to teach my retreat this weekend. And so I'm just hanging out at Holiday Inn and it's not the nicest hotel in the world and it doesn't have a gym. And I like to work out. I like to get my sweat on pretty much every day. Either I work out or I do yoga or something. That is why I am so grateful for Daily Burn. Daily Burn is a fitness program you can stick to and get results that last. And you can do it from anywhere. Like I did it in my hotel room because they are the world's leading provider of on-demand video workout programs. And there's so many things to choose from. Like my hardest part is figuring out which one I want to do because there's so many great ones. And like I said, you can do it from anywhere as long as you have Wi-Fi. And there are thousands of classes for every level of athlete, whatever your preference is. Because, you know, finding the answer to your fitness problems isn't as easy as walking into a gym, following a fad diet, or buying a piece of trendy equipment. That's why Daily Burn is so great. It's a fitness program you can stick with that get results that last. So they take less time than the gym, cost way less than fancy exercise gadgets, and require little to no equipment. You can even select like no equipment. I have no equipment with me in this hotel room. So I did like a body weight training video this morning. And if you need a little extra motivation, they have an active online community where you can share your fitness journey and connect with other Daily Burn members and trainers. So visit dailyburn.com slash over it today to start your free 60-day trial. You guys, that's two months free. That's such a great offer. Dailyburn.com slash over it, free 60-day trial. And keeping the health kick going, my other sponsor that I want to thank is HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. You can choose your delivery day for when it works best for your busy schedule. You can even pause your account for weeks at a time like I had to do when you're out of town. HelloFresh offers a wide variety of chef-curated recipes that change weekly. And they make it so easy to cook delicious balanced dinners for less than $10 a meal. So you don't have to spend hours in the grocery store or all night in the kitchen because the recipes only take about 30 
minutes so you can feel confident when cooking and try things that you never thought to cook on your own and enjoy eating out of your comfort zone. So here's your call to action. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter over it 30. Again, for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter over it 30. Okay. So let's get to this interview. I would be shocked if you don't know who Lewis Howes is. He is just huge in the world of personal growth and entrepreneurship and really becoming the greatest version of yourself. He is a lifestyle entrepreneur, high-performance business coach, and keynote speaker. He's a former professional football player and two-sport All-American, and he's a current USA men's national handball team athlete true renaissance man. He hosts a top 20 iTunes ranked podcast, The School of Greatness, which I've been on. It was a while ago when my first book came out. No, not my first book. My last book came out. Hopefully I'll be on again soon. It has over 5 million downloads and 500 episodes since it launched in 2013. Lewis was recognized by the White House and President Obama as one of the top entrepreneurs in the country. And he has so many other amazing credentials. He's been on Ellen. He's all over TV. But let me just speak to who he is as a person and as a friend. Like I said, I've known him for years. I think we've known each other five years. And it's been so awesome to just watch him grow, not just professionally, but personally. And if you've ever had a hug from Lewis Howes, you'll never forget it because he gives great hugs. And one thing that I really acknowledge and admire about him is he's incredibly present when you're speaking to him, you really feel like the only person in the room. And that's such an important aspect of the masculine, you know, really holding that space of presence. That's something I talked about in the episode with William when I was coaching him. It's like, you know, you don't want to be rescuing people. That's not really the light and the power of the masculinity. The power of the masculinity is just to hold a beautiful space of presence. So I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. We cover a lot of ground. So now on to my talk with the one and only Lewis House. Lewis, it is so awesome to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Christine. You and I have been friends for a while. I was thinking about it before we started recording. It's probably like five years now or something like that. That's it? Uh, maybe more. Time's just going uh, by so fast. Yeah. But it has been awesome to just watch you grow and grow and grow in terms of your platform and impact. And as your friend, I'm lucky that I got a little behind the scenes. So I've seen you grow professionally, but also personally. Right. And I just really acknowledge how committed you are to your own inner work and how that translates to the work you do in the world. So thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So Mask of Masculinity. I think a lot of people didn't expect this book from you. <laughs> <laughs> I like to do the unexpected. I understand. I can relate. And I love this book. And I love that you wrote this book. Um, I talked a little bit about it in the intro but I know my audience would love to hear from your perspective. Why did you write this? A couple of reasons. First off, because I felt like I needed to and nothing else mattered unless I did this first before I did anything else. I felt like it was a responsibility, a duty, a calling, a mission to dive into this. One for myself because I was uncovering so much about myself that – I was just ignorant to still, and I wanted to continue to uncover it and understand myself better, why I acted certain ways for my whole life, why I was conditioned a certain way, why I was defensive or guarded, why I needed to be right and needed to win at all costs, and 
you know, I just wanted to learn more. And I started, so I started to really dive in and interview different psychologists and experts and people that work with young boys for 20, 30 years, people that work with teen boys, people that work with men in prison and, you know, men of all walks of life. And I just wanted to ask them these questions. Why have we been conditioned to, uh, be so harmful in the world? Why have we been conditioned to hurt others and ultimately hurt ourselves by not expressing how we feel, by not sharing emotions, by being so competitive in a negative sense? Because I'm, I'm a firm believer in competition and, and winning in sports and winning in certain areas in context, but making sure that everyone else wins around you as well and not doing it in the traditional toxic masculine way. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to learn more why. And I, I also knew that I wanted to share that information with other men and other women who might be confused why men are, are have acted that way uh, in their life, why their father has been disconnected or never really been clo- shown close affection, why their brothers have been a certain way, why their husband or their boyfriend never shows emotion, and just to be able to shed some light on it so we can have some more awareness and clarity around this as men, women. And, and I also felt like not many men who looked like me or who had been through experiences like me were talking about this. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt like, you know, the, the conversation is happening with women, you know, with mm-hmm. Brene Brown and Oprah and you know, yourself and even people like Deepak Chopra, but most traditionally looking masculine men, it's hard for them to to relate to those individuals and to listen to those individuals if they're already guarded in their way of thinking. So I thought that uh, maybe they would relate to me in some way based on the way I look and my experiences. Mm. And in writing the book, what was the most surprising thing you discovered about yourself? Uh, that I have a lot of work still to do. And Mm. even though that I was able to heal and I think just understand myself in a much better way, I feel like there's, there's always some challenge that, you know, comes to me. I felt like for a few years, things were really good. And then I was like, huh, there's still challenges that like, Mm -hmm. even though I've understand it, there's like still things that come up and I'm like, man, why can't this just leave me? You know, but I think that's the beauty of life is that just to being aware of these things is, uh, it's going to be probably the thing I'm going to have to be faced with the rest of my life that, uh, the bigger, the, the stage, the bigger, the game that I'm playing in life, you know, the different challenges or opportunities that will come my way, they'll have to keep facing. Yeah. And I think any of us, whether we're public figures or not, any of us who choose the path of waking up and consciousness, yeah, yeah. which you've chosen, it, it, there's another layer and another layer and another layer because there's no going back once you wake up, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no going back. And, and on some level, our soul is like, okay, like we're here to really evolve in this lifetime. And so, yeah, there's always going to be those challenges, all this, always going to be those opportunities. But as we grow, we have more tools, we have a greater support system and this book is one of those tools that a lot of, of men can turn to. Um, oh, so many questions. I want to jump back to the book for a second because you talk about the nine masks that men wear. Can you quickly go through those just so people have some context context in terms of the masks? Yeah, sure. I mean, for me, I was thinking of like what are these things that that men do, the archetypes of you know, masculinity that we could all look at. And the first one is the stoic mask. Uh, it's really the man that doesn't show emotions. It just kind of keeps it all in and balls it up. Uh, so, so imagine, uh, if you're a man listening to this, 
which mask resonates with you. Or if you're a woman, which mask you, that resonate with you if with your boyfriend or your husband's or father's and things like that. But the stoic mask, then you've got the athlete mask, um, the material mask, the man who's constantly driven by his his self-worth is driven by his net worth and his material possessions, and it's all about that. You've got the sexual mask, um, the man that just wants to conquer every woman in the world, never wants to get intimate and stay close. Uh, the aggressive mask, a man who just unleashes his aggressive nature in different situations. The joker mask, the man who is constantly using humor mm. to deflect his emotions. He's probably always seeming happy and joyful and always knows how to tell a great joke, uh, but usually in, not in the right situations. Then you've got the in invincible mask, the man who thinks he can do anything, will never get hurt, um, can run through a wall, and um, it feels like he's immune to pain until it all catches up to him. You've got the know-it-all mask, the man that knows everything, that doesn't need directions, that doesn't need help, <laughs> that doesn't need feedback. He's got it all figured out. And you've got the alpha mask. So those are the, the ones that we came up with. Mm. And I imagine as a man, you can have multiple ones, but there are a couple Absolutely. that are dominant. Yeah. Which ones do you relate to the most? The most? Well, I, they're all, I, I relate to them all, but the three or four, I would say the athlete mask, the sexual mask, the aggressive mask. Uh, used to be the invincible mask a lot more. Now... I'm getting older. I can feel uh, my pain a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, probably the alpha mask some, but they're, they're, they're becoming less and less. The more that I'm aware of it, the more I talk to it and speak to it and look at it, and it doesn't have control over me anymore. It's not, it doesn't come my default right. anymore. So I'm sure there's parts of all of them that I'll have in moments, but I don't feel like I'm one of them by default anymore. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, they're defense mechanisms. All Absolutely. those masks that you talked about are defense mechanisms. And men and women, we all adopt our different defense mechanisms, protective devices, because we don't really have the tools to deal with the hurt and the trauma mm -hmm. and the pain that happens to us when we're growing up. And you're very open about being sexually abused as a boy, which mm -hmm. is more common in boys than people realize. It's what, one in six boys? One in six, yeah. One in six boys. And was that something you remembered or later, or did you always know growing up? Yeah, I always knew. You always I mean, knew. I think I, I always knew, but I started to remember it more and more like as a early teen. It was just mm -hmm. constantly like coming up in my mind, but Maybe there was a few years afterwards that I wasn't thinking about it as much, but then in the middle school, high school, it started to come up more. And how much do you think that that drove you in terms of being the athlete that you are and being as successful well, I think as the, you are? I think the feeling of being abused mm -hmm. or uh, drove me. And so that was one of many instances where I told myself that I was being abused you know, where kids would make fun of me or they would bully me or that would happen or whatever. I would, you know, so that was just a more prominent visual moment in my mind that I could reflect back to. But there were many smaller moments of feeling abused that all built up to drive me to say, I'm going to become the best that I can be. and I'm going to be mm -hmm. better than everyone else in the world at everything I do. And that was my come from for many years, you know, a couple of decades where I was just said, I'm going to master whatever it takes to be the best at whatever yeah. I want to do. 
and beat everyone else. And I remember it's funny when I, even like five years ago, there was an interview I did on someone's podcast. And I remember just, I think the title of the podcast was something like Lewis Howe's, uh, like how to be number one at everything. It was like, cause that, that's mm. all I was talking about. It was just like, how can I be the best? How can I dominate over the world on everything? Even the language I would use mm-hmm. was very, I think, toxic in a sense. Mm-hmm. And, and so the sexual abuse definitely played a massive role because it was always in the back of my mind and I never addressed it. I would just become defensive anytime I felt abused or taken advantage of. I think that is something that's still I feel today when when I feel taken advantage of, it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it doesn't feel good for anyone, but I think... You push the button. My, mm-hmm. Yeah. With my own personal experiences, I really don't like it. And I'll like cut people out of my life if I feel taken advantage of sometimes because it's just not something I want to feel. That's like my defense mechanism. And now I'm much more <clears throat> aware of it and I'm able to communicate it better and and not feel like this tightness of breath instantly like I used to. And every moment I felt crossed by anyone. Yeah. Um, but it's still, you know, it's still something I, I deal with. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you're honest about that because I think that often there's an expectation, especially in the personal <clears throat> growth world, that we're just supposed to get over things quickly. Once we have the tools and do some work on it and go to a couple workshops and see a counselor for a while, we're just supposed to be over it <laughs> and it's never right. going to impact us again. And, and a lot of these things are with us, like you said, for the rest of your life, we just relate to it differently and we have different levels of awareness and deeper <clears throat> compassion with ourselves when it comes up. Yeah. And it's a different, it's a different context now. You know, mm-hmm. when I was younger, I used to feel bullied and taken advantage of and manipulated in a lot of ways because I didn't have friends. So I would try to like enter a group of friends and then I would be taken advantage of or just made fun of. Now it's a completely different life for me because it's an abundance of opportunities and I feel like people are reaching out to me to to leverage things or to use me in certain ways yeah. in a different way for a different reason. So it's it's just like a whole new learning of like, oh, I've never experienced this type of feeling before and it doesn't feel good. And how do I navigate it? And under this context, so how do you navigate it? You know, it's been interesting these last few weeks. I've been like in a funk because, you know, my, my dad was, it, he's not been well, he's stable now, but he wasn't well. And we weren't sure what was going to happen. And I got sick and I felt like I was just overwhelmed by the abundance of opportunities. Like I feel super grateful for all the opportunities, but it was hard for me to navigate them all and so many requests that were coming my way. It was just mm-hmm. constant requests from everyone. It felt like, you know, this is my own story about it. It felt like constant requests daily for incredible opportunities. Mm-hmm. And me wanting to say yes to some and no to others. And, you know, just if I said no to people, just they would be so upset or let down. And, or, and I feel like they would manipulate me until I said yes or make mm-hmm. me feel bad until I said yes. And it's just like, man, how do I? navigate all this energy, um, it's just different. You know, yeah. you strive for wanting this when you don't have it, <laughs> when, when you're broke and you're like, okay, I want opportunities where there's money, these cool things are to come to me and, and now I have it and I'm super grateful, but I just haven't learned to master a system yet of like navigating the requests and all the inbound stuff and not letting it take over my energy fully. So, right. I'm right. figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
still human like the rest of us. <laughs> exactly. and, and I think with, especially with abuse, and that's something we talk about a lot on the show is you, you, in that moment, you feel so disempowered and you lose your no, you know, you, you lose your ability to say mm-hmm. no in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so a big thing, if that's in our background is learning boundaries and, yeah. and also that feeling of overwhelm is also a button because anything traumatic, especially abuse, it's so overwhelming for our system to process. So anytime we're in any kind of situation where there's so much coming at us faster than our mind can process, it takes us back to that point. And this may sound silly, but it, it's almost traumatic. Like you being overwhelmed by opportunities, mm-hmm. it almost pushes a trauma button. Even sure. though rationally, you know, this is all good. There's still a part of the psyche in there that's wired to too much coming at me at once. Where's my power? Where's my no? What do I do? Mm-hmm. And it, it pushes that. So it's just, yeah, continuing to have so much compassion um, and navigating it. And one thing that's helpful to me is, you know, really continuing to be in conversation with my little girl. And when I'm feeling like overwhelmed, connecting back to her and being like, you know what, this is grown up stuff. And you don't have to deal with this. Like, I got this. I got this. Like, you can go play. You can go do whatever you need to do. Um, But yeah, it's thank you for just normalizing the continual growth process. Yeah, I'm in it. Yeah, we all are. We all are. And it doesn't matter. You know, you've seen like it doesn't matter how much money or success or fame you get. It's not the answer to any uh-huh. of our any of our challenges. Right. Um, it's it's amazing. But like you said, sometimes it can bring even more forward. And one thing that you're modeling so beautifully is is with an increased platform and impact, you are calling yourself forward to a higher degree of awareness and consciousness because, you know, you, you can't fall asleep. Right. <laughs> like exactly. it's impossible. Um, so for people, but especially men who may be carrying around the shame of being abused, either sexually or physically, or even emotionally or mentally, I was speaking to one of my clients last night who was incredibly verbally abused by a narcissistic dad. Mm. What advice do you have for them? Hmm. Give yourself a hug (laughs) and, and find someone else to give you a hug. First off, um, I think disconnecting yourself from others is, is not the thing to do. Being alone, you know, I think it's helpful at times, but I think always come back to connection with someone else and allow yourself to feel, allow yourself to relax in that with a connection with someone else, uh, whether it's a friend or an intimate partner or a family member, I think allowing yourself to, to hug someone and be held is a very healing experience uh, when you're facing that type of trauma. I think also giving yourself permission to talk about how it makes you feel when some when you feel that way, uh, as opposed to bottling it up, as opposed to just you know grunting through it and sucking it up and being emotionless and working out or whatever. Sure, working out is great, but if you're not talking about these things, I think it's ultimately going to make you suffer Mm -hmm. from personal experience. You know, when I didn't share how I was feeling, you feel the tightness in your chest. And the longer you go without sharing how you feel, whether it's with a friend, an intimate partner, a spiritual counselor, whatever it may be, the longer you go without sharing or letting this energy out, the more you will suffer and it will build up tension in your heart and in your chest. And it's going to affect everything you do when your work, your relationships, people are either going to feel it or you're going to feel it and you're not going to be able to perform at your best. 
throughout day-to-day life. So I think you must be able to find someone, allow yourself to heal through human touch and sharing how you feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To take the shame off. The only way mm-hmm. to heal from shame is to expose, Absolutely. to be vulnerable. And like you said, if you suppress it, it, it only leads to challenges in your relationship. And, and also I see for a lot of men, it leads to addiction, either Absolutely. workaholic, porn addiction, sex addiction, drinking drugs. Um, enough is never enough. The bar is always raised because you're constantly trying to avoid the pain. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it the anti that you always have to up the ante. Um, and in order to not feel the pain, you've got to feel something stronger, which is why I think so many people who have abuse go to addiction because it's yeah. like the next, the next kind of level of feeling that they can get to. So absolutely. And there's some type of relief when you have that mm-hmm. addiction too. You know, I was, you know, I think I've had, you know, many different addictions. I've never been drug addiction, but porn and all those things for me, it was like a relief. It was like something to disconnect from what I was feeling. And yeah, yeah. it's challenging. It's hard to face your feelings when you're told you're not supposed to specifically as a man. Yeah. You know, that's one of the challenges. And I think porn addiction, which is one of the biggest addictions out there for men right now, it's it's amazing to me. One of my friends is a sex um, sexual addiction therapist, and the statistics he tells me are just shocking. And it's so easily accessible. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that it it's it, it skews um, men's perspective up a lot, and it's not it breeds shame as well. Yeah, of course. How how do you break that one? Porn addiction? Mm-hmm. Well, I think when you have good intimacy, that's when it's broken. Mm. You know, I think when I didn't have intimacy, I was looking for it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And when I had the intimacy and had a safe space to be able to communicate and explore different sexual desires and and just have somewhere where I could share how I was feeling, then I didn't need that, that uh, you know, addiction anymore. Yeah. And I didn't need to watch it or masturbate or any of those things. So it's just like, Oh, I have what I need. Yeah. And this is like the greatest, you know, real life porn. It's like, it's like, okay, I'm just doing what I want to do as opposed to, you know, having some addiction to, to blow off steam or something. So uh, I think that's what it is. It's finding someone you can really communicate with and share and reveal these things and feel safe to talk about yeah. these things or to experience how you want to feel. Um, but without that, if we don't feel like we have a safe space to go somewhere, then we find it through addiction. I feel, you know, although, you know, one addiction is not better than another, but I was just glad that I didn't have, you know, alcohol right. or something else. Cause I think that's when it's really hard to break away from some type of, uh, physical, um, you know, drug addiction. that's even harder to break away from. Right. Well, and like you said, in any of them, we're chasing a feeling. You know, we're really chasing a feeling and what we all long for is intimacy and connection. That's That's and belonging. That's what we all want. And this is the perfect segue to what I wanted to talk to you about next, which is um, relationships between men and women. And I think this can even go for same sex relationships because we all have masculine and feminine inside of us. And and usually one person is is more in in the masculine, one person is more in the feminine, and you kind of dance between the polarities. One thing that I talk a lot to women on this show about is um, 
not emasculating men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm a big fan of Alison Armstrong. I think you are too. Mm-hmm. Um, and David Data. And it's, after my divorce, I became incredibly curious about how to communicate with men in a way that created intimacy rather than separation. Because I fell into the feminine kind of shadow pattern of judging and criticizing. And that is not a way to build an intimate relationship (laughs) with a man at all. And really learned how to create a safe space, like you said. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think it's good for, you know, a man to judge or criticize a woman or vice versa. I don't think either way, that's not going to be helpful for anyone. Exactly. Judgment and criticism does not build intimacy or make us feel like we're connected. Um, so as a man, when you say safe space, what makes you feel safe? Hmm. Well, when someone listens, I feel without judgment or making me wrong, that feels safe. And when when someone listens without making me wrong, without judging, and someone who is comfortable to hear what I want to say, so they don't get like frazzled, they don't walk away, make me wrong, any of those things, but someone who can just listen to me and accept me for who I am or, or the feeling I'm having in that moment, um, whether it's a crazy feeling or not, but someone who can fully accept it and just not make me wrong. Because the moment I feel like I'm made wrong, I don't want to share anymore. I don't want to talk about how I'm feeling. And therefore, I'm going to put on a mask. Mm. I'm going to, or I'm going to go somewhere else and do it. I'm going to look for what I need somewhere else. So I think and this is challenging, though, because if you're in an intimate relationship and you're hurt by someone and they want to share something with you, it's, it's not saying it's like a perfect formula. But I really think when you sit down and say, I want to have a conversation and I would love for you to listen to, to how I'm feeling. And, and, you know, I would love for you to come from a place of non-judgment and not making me wrong in this moment. I think it's creating the context for these conversations for a safe space is powerful as opposed to just blurting something out and not, and someone not having an awareness of what's happening, but creating a context first is powerful. Yeah. I actually just had an experience of this where I was dating someone and he did something that pissed me off. And I I found myself doing the, like, let me give him the cold shoulder and expect him to read my mind. (laughs) Yeah. That that doesn't work. (laughs) No, no. Luckily I caught myself. I only was doing it for like a minute and then I'm like, okay, Christine, what you want is intimacy. And this is just, this, this is not going to do it. This is just going to push him away. Mm -hmm. And so I just went to him and I said, I have something I would love to share with you. I'm totally taking responsibility for my feelings. I just need to communicate this to you. When you did X, Y, Z, I interpreted it as this. I felt this and I feel better just telling you and Mm. I'd love to like move forward in our day. I don't know what I said, but it was basically that, like I took responsibility for it. I shared, I came from a very vulnerable rather than attacking place and it went beautifully. Like Mm. he heard me, he understood, he acknowledged, we had both made assumptions and we moved on with the day and it worked so much better than expecting him to read my mind because men and women, none of us are mind readers. And when we can take responsibility for communicating our feelings, that's how we not only make the other person feel safe, but we actually trust ourselves in relationship Mm -hmm. and we feel safe because I think as much as it's somewhat, we want the other person to make us feel safe we need to take responsibility for how we show up. So we trust ourselves with ourselves in a relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, 
I want to talk about commitment for a moment. I'm in, you know, I, a, a lot of women in my tribe and I'm in a lot of conversations with women and I'm in a lot of conversations with single women. <laughs> and one of the topics that comes up a lot is men, especially like this generation, 20s, 30s, 40s, like that kind mm -hmm. of age range, they have too many options. They're yep. Peter Pans. They don't want to commit. All they mm -hmm. want is to be free. And that's that's the conversation. So I'd mm -hmm. love to hear your thoughts on, is commitment challenging for men? Is this a Peter Pan thing, a real thing? <laughs> what makes well, I think, man commit? I think, was, I, think, uh, I think the model is broken. Mm. Of uh, if fifty three percent of marriages are not staying together and they're not working and they're getting in, into divorce, and then there's obviously more that are staying together but they're still not working, then there's a model that's not working. That men are seeing these statistics, they're hearing these stories from their friends, they're hearing about this stuff, and so they're saying, "Wow, okay, well something is not working. There's no urgency for me to get married and be committed if it's going to end in." divorce or a breakup or pain and agony like I'm hearing from seven out of the 10 of my guy friends or whatever it is. Mm. So, I, so I think there's a, you know, an awakening to, okay, there are other options out there. I don't have to get married right away like it used to when, you know, with our parents or something. And I'm okay if I'm not in a marriage or in a committed relationship because there's so many of these other options. So I think that's, that's something that is happening. Um, and I think just like women, I think guys want to find if, if they're going to be committed to one person for the rest of their life, I think they want to be sure about it. They want to be like, I want to find someone who's the one. And with so many options out there, there's this option looks great and that looks great. How do you know who's the one? So I think men are confused of that feeling and, and, and knowing about it as well. And I think also men just <sighs> – yeah. I mean, a lot of distractions out there, a mm -hmm. lot of opportunities, a lot of distractions. But I truly believe when um, when a man finds someone that they're really excited about, then they will commit to them. It doesn't have to be marriage, but they'll be committed to them. But it's just challenging. <laughs> you know, it's just, I mean, I've had this in you know, my relationship. is mm -hmm. we, we broke up at one point and we're back together now. And we've been together for uh, a few years now. But, you know, there's still challenges with just the future. It's just, it's scary. It's un the uncertainty that's out there. And, um, you know, so it's a constant conversation. Yeah. I think it's conversation. I think it's a, a, an agreement that you make every day. Like you commit, yeah. you commit every day. And, you know, I, I feel like, um, this sort of Peter Pan thing that we see a lot of uh -huh. men is it's another mask and it's a fear of intimacy. And it's, it's that, sure. that thinking something, not wanting to miss out and thinking better, something better is going to come along because mm -hmm. when you, when you go from woman to woman or man to man or whatever, you, you never have to be super intimate with anyone. You get to have right. the infatuation period, which feels like intimacy, but yeah, then you get to leave before the issues start coming up and, yeah. and the buttons start and the projections Before starts. It's challenging. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when you've hit those challenging moments in your relationship as a man and you want to just be free and you want to run mm -hmm. and you want to just go date every girl that's out there. Yep. How do you navigate that? Um, I think about perspective. I think about, you know, I imagine and visualize, okay, if I want to go date a bunch of girls, 
What's that going to feel like? What's it going to look like? It's going to be fun, exciting, interesting, different, all these different things. I'm going to learn stuff. And then I'm going to get bored and I'm going to want to be with someone who I am excited about and who I want to be intimate with more than just having fun and someone I want to grow with. And that's what I always go back to is wanting to have that intimacy because that's something that I do crave is intimacy. And I don't feel good when I'm, when I don't have it. Mm -hmm. I feel, you know, it's, it's fun, but it just doesn't feel good. You know, it just doesn't feel like the deepest level of intimacy. And that's something that I crave is constantly looking for that, that richness of intimacy, of, of connection, of, uh, togetherness. And you can't find that when you're just dating a bunch of people. No, you can't. And, yeah. and you, you don't find that, you know, and what's so great about a relationship when you get to those levels of intimacies, you get to know yourself better too, Absolutely. because a relationship is a great container for growth it really yeah. is. That's Huge one. Content. Yeah. That's one of the main reasons I'm like longing for one is because I, I miss that element of, of growth mm -hmm. and reflection because it's so rich. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll give an example. I mean, yesterday, I mean, I'm usually, I mean, there's not much that usually gets me, you know, that, uh, that throws me off my game. But for whatever reason, over this last month, even though, you know, we were both speaking at an event over the weekend and I felt more off mm. speaking on stage. I just felt completely off. One, because I was like nauseous still from like flying in a jet with the Blue Angels. I was like up in the air for four, like <laughs> oh, spinning geez. around two days prior. So I just felt like kind of out of my body and like nauseous still. Yeah. But I think from the overwhelm of opportunities and so much is happening with our business, there's just a lot of moving parts happening at once that I'm like, okay, I need to cut back on a lot of things. And yesterday I was, I came back from a long meeting and, um, there was a, just a bunch, like 20 text messages of all these different things that came at me on my way back home. And I just kind of felt exhausted. Mm. It was only like three 30 or something in the afternoon. And I usually have energy all day and all night. And I just been feeling more and more exhausted. And I was just like laid down on my bed and I just texted my girlfriend, Jen, and I just said, I need a hug. That was like the first time I'd ever mm. said that I needed a hug. Like I'm usually fine. Like I can handle anything. And I could have been fine in that moment. Like I could have been like, oh, it's all good. I can just like take a nap or rest or – but I just – it was nice to know that someone was here that I could just reach out to and text and say, I need a hug. Yeah. And, you know, a few minutes later, she came in the room and she was upstairs and came down and and it was just like, you don't get that if you're just dating a bunch of people. That's true. And, and it was nice to have that, you know, that intimacy in that moment where I could just be like, man, I just feel overwhelmed yeah, and, and a little tired and a little exhausted. And, you know, it was just nice to have someone there for me. I love that you asked for that, that you didn't put on a mask. And I usually, yeah, I've never, mm -hmm. I never ask for anything. And mm -hmm. I just kind of felt like, huh. If I don't ask for this, I'm going to – something else is going to break down in like a week or two. You know, it's yeah. like I, I needed something. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's a good lesson, right? If, if, if asking is not something you do a lot of but giving is something you do a lot of, part of maybe balancing yeah. the overwhelm is to make sure you're asking and yeah, receiving. Yeah, receiving. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so – I just felt like I needed to do it right then. I love that. I love that. And Jen gives good hugs. Great hugs. <laughs> she it's does. Like a little, it's like a little monkey. She's a just little, yeah. She's just a little love ball. I love her. <laughs> um, all right. So just a few more questions. You have time for a few more questions? Of course. Is that okay. Okay. So for the, for the men out there, 
who, and, and definitely I talked about the book in the beginning, go get the book. I think it's a, I loved reading it. I think it's a great book for women. Um, it helps us understand men as well. What would be the, the primary thing that you want men to do to really start manning up, to really step into healthy masculinity? Hmm. Well, I think there's many things. First, understand the mask that you're wearing the most because that's going to tell you a lot about what's working for you in your life, what's not working, um, and why certain things have happened the way they have you know, over the last five or ten years. So understand the mask that you wear the most and why you wear that mask. I think it will give you a lot of insight into your whole life. Uh, secondly, I would say start to – be aware when you put your mask on and understand that it's actually not helping you. It's actually hurting you and the people around you and to be aware of it. And usually in order to be aware of it and not put it back on, we have to address something that we've been holding on to, something mm-hmm. that we haven't shared with someone or that we haven't talked about, um, you know, whether it's not feeling enough or getting picked on or sexual abuse or verbal abuse or you know, your parents weren't there for you or whatever. It could have been anything. It could have been one moment. It could have been many moments. And like you said, until we share these things, I think um, it's going to stay inside of us. So the more I started sharing about my masks and about the things that I was holding on to, about sexual abuse and other things I was feeling, the more I shared these things, the, the, the greater the command I had over the awareness when my triggers came up and the greater the patience I had and the greater – the acceptance of myself and the less judgmental I was of other people. And, and I was able to navigate my emotions with control and poise and grace and elegance. Mm -hmm. And I think when men can start to navigate their emotions with elegance, that makes them the ultimate masculine man. And it's a powerful thing when you can see a man who can just navigate and understand all of his emotions, feel them, and be elegant through his communication style with others. And um, I think that's what it takes to be yeah. to be able to man up, is to really own your past, own the pain, mm-hmm. own the suffering you've had, so that it doesn't own you anymore. Right. And when you and when you can own it, uh, just the world is uh, you can do some incredible things in the world after that. Yeah, we can really shift what masculinity looks like because so many people are saying, "Oh, the masculine paradigm's been in power for two thousand years, and now right. it's the feminine." And and I said this on the the coaching episode with William. It's it's been more the shadow of the masculine. It's been mm-hmm. the overpowering and the corruption and the force and the domination. And yeah. I think what you and your book are bringing forward, and and so many men on the consciousness path, are, are is the healthy masculine. Mm-hmm. Could you could you talk a little bit about the qualities of masculinity that um, that are more of that that light that healthy side? Yeah, service. Mm. I think uh, a man that lives in service to himself, his family, and humanity is is the ultimate masculine uh, definition. And um, I think in order to serve, you have to get out of your ego and stop thinking about um, you know not just what's in it for me, but what's in it for all of us. And not just how can I gain the most out of this and how can I always be right and how can I win at all costs in relationships or business or whatever it may be because that is not a man in service. And once we can shift out of that, and that's the way I thought for a long time, you know, it's just like how can I win at all costs? How can I be right 
just because I don't want to feel stupid if I'm wrong. Even if I am wrong, I would like make people bad, you know, if they, if I wasn't right, I would try to like one up people because I felt like I needed to prove myself. So I think a man who is okay with being wrong and not having the answers and just, and wanting to listen as opposed to talk and, and just a few of those things right there, I mm-hmm. think is a great step forward. I love that. I love yeah. that. And can you make a distinction between being of service and being a rescuer, being a fixer, being oh, yeah, the knight in shining armor. Yeah, I think you want to hold people accountable as well mm-hmm. um, and allow people to be responsible for their life. But I think being in service is simple. Uh, for me, it's, it's walking down the street and smiling at someone. It's opening the door for someone. It's saying please and thank you. It's being courteous and generous in general and making that your your way of being, you know, that's how I was taught as a kid from my dad is to always do those things and and treat people, you know, kindly and smile. I think that is service alone right there. It's just smiling at people. It brings light out in other people. Mm -hmm. You don't have to rescue everyone on the streets and, you know, do all these crazy things, but I think you can just be the light to bring out the light. Yeah. And I think a lot of men think by going and fixing a woman, saving a woman, caring, no. that that's how they earn love. And that's not going to get you intimacy. That's just going to get you codependence. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be stressful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Makes you feel good at first and needed, but in the long and run. And resentful. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what can women do to support men in taking off their masks? Not make them wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and call them forth of their vision. I think a man without a vision is a is a is a can be a can be a scary man, and so really cultivating the man's vision and asking them what their vision is or their purpose or what they're excited about right now and and getting them to take action on their vision and stay true to their vision. Um, I think when a man has a powerful vision, then he leads with his heart more as yeah. opposed to his head. So I think that's one thing is to make sure that your man, father, brother, husband is always vision focused into a positive vision. Um, but if things come up, you know, uh, you know I think you got to feel out each man. You can't just – it's not a one thing fits all for every man. I think you got to feel out who is triggered in what ways in your life and the intimate relationships you have with your family, friends, and and, and intimate partners. But – you know, when I tell Jen, you know, when, when she'll come at me defensive or guarded about something or frustrated at me about something, I say, I don't respond well. You know, I used to have a lot of coaches that would scream at me when I did something wrong. Or if I dropped the ball, they would scream at me. I'm like, I already know I dropped the ball. You don't have to scream to make me humiliated in front of everyone yes. and yell at me because then I'm just going to shut down and I don't want to listen to you. Right. So I make the request. I say, you know, my request is if if I do something that upsets you or you need to talk to me about something that you just – you come to me um, you know, with love and you come to me and you ask me calmly as opposed mm-hmm. to you know, getting frustrated. Mm-hmm. And so I think it takes two in every situation. You know, I have to ask for what I want in terms of communication and she has to under, understand what works well for me because it doesn't work when I'm yelled at yeah. or when I'm getting frustrated at or something like that or I feel like I'm being made wrong. So 
I think you got to understand the men in your life. Yeah. When you, when you can understand the mask they wear, then you can understand how to approach them with your communication style. Yeah. And, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah. And for the men listening, it, it's not helpful to us when you shut down <laughs> and pull away. Absolutely. Like it, that's crazy making for us because, you know, sure. we thrive on communication. So that's, I love that you're modeling communication and speaking Absolutely. your needs because that's, that's it. Communication is the essence of a healthy relationship. Yeah. And I think, and I think getting, if you want to have a conversation and someone does shut down, even if you come from love, then I think getting them out of there, getting them out of the setting mm-hmm. where they can kind of run away, whether it be take a walk or go outside, be in nature, you know, not have your phones on you and come from love. You know, it's, it's, it's harder for a man to walk away if you're coming from a loving place, yep. you, know, you know, but some men make it, you know, defensive still, but you know, then tell them, you know, how you feel when they walk away or when they get defensive, when you're coming from a loving place. If you're not yelling at them, if you're not making them wrong, even though they might have done something that frustrated you, I think that's the best you can do. Just don't yell. Don't make them wrong right away and, and communicate how you're feeling. Mm. Okay. Two more questions. Yeah. First one to the men who are like, Oh, this personal growth stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I need to kill it in my business. I need to like get to the gym like this. I uh-huh. can work on this stuff later. What would you say to them? Well, I would say it all it all works together. And if you want to be the master at building your business or or anything, then you have to understand people. And the key to 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 success in life is human beings, is people. And the key key to successful relationships is vulnerability, is intimacy, is compassion, and, and is really understanding the needs of others. Um, so if you're just one speed, one size fits all. You're not going to be an ultimate leader in your life because true leaders can navigate any type of human being and any type of emotion. They have navigated because they have experienced it fully and been through it. They've been challenged by it. They've fallen down by the emotions. They've struggled with it and then they've learned about it. So they're aware when it comes up and they can navigate it with humility, with grace Mm. and elegance. And I think that's what it takes to... If you look at some of the, you know, the greatest inspiring male leaders, I think they have this ease and this grace and this elegance and they've made billions of dollars and built big businesses. And if you look at the toxic masculine leaders, you know, it shows that their energy is toxic and Mm -hmm. it's affected their health. It's affected their relationships. There's a, there's a negative viewpoint about those individuals and, um, they face a lot more challenges than you think. Yep. So I think that's the way you got to look at it. There's a lot of parents who listen to this show, Lewis, for those that are raising boys. How do you raise boys to be really good men? I think it's first is you spend a little bit of time every single day with them and show them that you love them and show them that you care and that you're there. And I think this doesn't have to be hours and hours, but dedicating a five minutes, 10 minutes, to your child a day where it's just you and your, and your boy. Uh, so they know that you're there and that you care. I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a little bit of time goes a long way, yeah. but if you're around, but not present, that also has negative effects from my experience and from other people sharing. So I think really allow it. And then, you know, what I talked about at this event when you were there is, is finding time like once a week or once every couple of weeks, consistently where you can get away for 10 to 15 minutes 
outside of the context of your home or the TV or the phone and all these video games. And you allow your son to share anything he might be feeling. Mm. I I wish I would have had that. And maybe my mom tried that stuff a few times and I just blew it off. But I think just like being consistent by saying, you know, anytime you you want to share anything or if you have anything that's going on, you can always tell me and I'm just going to listen. Mm. I think a mom that listens without telling their boy what to do or giving them feedback or making them wrong, just listens. Yeah. That is that is a powerful mother. Yeah that um, is allowing, is training her son to share his feelings. And if a son does not grow up for 5, 10, 15, 20 years without a safe space to share his feelings and feel non-judgment and, and feel accepted for who he is, if he doesn't have that, he's probably not automatically going to learn it when he's 20, 30, 40 and start doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tr- train your son young that it's that it's okay to share. And the best way to get him to share is for you to share. Yeah. And if, you know, after six months, he never shares anything, then you can start sharing and say, you know, I was when I was young, I went through this and it was really scary. You can sense, I'm assuming as a mother, you have this sense of like what your son might be going through mm-hmm. at different stages. I can only imagine what... Like, why is my penis getting hard at five? Like, Mm -hmm. what is this thing? You know, why is this? Why is this? Why, you know, when I wet the bed, why is this? When I, a girl kissed me, it's like, you can have a sense of the age of where where they're at to be able to just talk about some of these things and ask them some questions and have a safe space. That to me is like the ultimate mom, if they can do that. Yeah. Um, I think that alone would be powerful. You said, I I love that. And you said something else on the panel we were on this weekend too. You said, be the best version of yourself, like model that for your son. And I think that's brilliant for mothers and fathers, like be the best you. you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you have respect for yourself and, you know, kids are more uh, intuitive than you think. And I was always watching my parents, even when they went around, I was listening to them in the other room and I was picking up on things, their energy constantly. And my parents fought all the time. So it was always this tension that I felt in the other room when I was playing video games or watching TV and they were all the way across the house. I could just pick up on little things that they said or little loud noises or little arguments. And we pick up on these things and it affects us. So if you don't create a safe space for us at some point, then that stuff is going to build into trauma over time. So the more you love your life and the more you show a healthy forms of relationship and communication style, the better your son is going to be raised into replicating that. Mm. And I think that's, that's the key. Just live mm. a great life yourself and do your best and create a safe space for your boys. Mm. Okay. So I lied. I have to ask this. Um, sure. <laughs> Uh, men and women listen to the show. There's a lot of women that listen to this show. Is there anything that you feel inspired or compelled to apologize on behalf of men for? Because there's a lot of women that have a lot of hurt mm. when it comes to men who may not ever hear it from the man that hurt them. Mm. But is there anything that you feel that you could say that might help bring a little love to, to some of those wounds. Sure. For all the women who are listening, who have ever been manipulated by a man, who have ever been lied to, who have ever been tricked, uh, who have ever been uh, 
sexually abused, verbally abused, who've ever been emotionally abused and taken advantage of, who's ever been hurt by and yelled at by a man who's ever had wrong intentions and and taken advantage of you and said that they would change but then keeps coming back and being negative and arguing and saying they'll change and then never doing it and manipulating you over and over again. I'm very sorry for all the men who've done that. And on behalf of all men, I hope you will know that there are so many loving, intimate, inspiring men who do have better intentions and those intentions are filled with consistent actions of love and intimacy and support. And there are so many men that want to see you thrive, that want to see you shine, that want to lift you up and achieve anything you want to achieve. And so I apologize mm. for anything that any man has ever done to mm. not bring you into your greatest light. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Lewis. Of course. That was incredibly beautiful. And I just encourage women listening to just let that in. And thank you for showing us that there are good men and that men hurt too. And hurt men hurt people, well, hurt people hurt people. It's not mm -hmm. a man woman thing. Yeah. And that you're really creating a space for men to have a different kind of conversation and to take off the mask and to be vulnerable so that they can be the kind of man that they want to be, not just that women want, <laughs> but the kind right. of man that, that they want to be. So absolutely. thank you so much, Louis, for having the courage to go down this road. This wasn't an easy topic, I'm sure, for <laughs> you to write because not only is it a lot, but you had to look at yourself and that takes, uh, absolutely. That takes incredible courage and just demonstrates how much integrity you have. So mm. I appreciate you. I'm grateful for you and thank you for putting this work out in the world. Thank you, Christine. Okay, everybody, go get the book. Listen to Lewis's amazing podcast, The School of Greatness. Follow him all over. He's he's such an incredible teacher, not just about masculinity, but about just being the best human, building your business. He's a constant student and learner. And if you are in his tribe, you're going to grow at an accelerated rate. So go hook up with him if he hasn't already. And Lewis, I can't wait to get another hug from you. You give the best hugs. Yes, soon. <laughs> we will do it. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs>